This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. nerds it's basketball welcome to horse a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses my name is eric silver and i'm joined as always by my co-host the jason tatum doing well and becoming one of the 10 to 15 best players in the league to eric enjoying this for the celtics eric how's it going i'm having a really good time and you might have noticed that it's just me in the studio today well Mike is off in Texas because he's going to get married soon, and we're all very excited about that. So I decided that he didn't have to do as much podcast stuff so that he could focus on, you know, getting married and planning a wedding and all those things that are hard and also great. So everyone send Mike congratulations in getting married to all of his various internet places where you might do that, but I'm going to introduce the beginning of the podcast and the end of the podcast. I'm going to make some really great jokes by myself, so get ready for all of that thing that I want to tell you about this episode is that it's going to be a little bit different. We are not going to do a full core press. Get it? Like the news? You get it? Well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to have two segments this time, but they are some extremely good segments, and we're extremely happy to bring it to you. We're going to have a That Actually Happened, where Mike is bringing me a wonderful story about the biggest asshole in the league ever, Larry Bird, and we are going to have audio from our Houston live show, which was amazing, and we're so happy to share our two three-on-threes from there. But first, even if I'm just in the gym by myself, putting up shots, doing layups, playing horse by myself to get better, practicing so that I can beat Mike in NBA Street Volume 2 because he crushed me every single time that we played, we have to go to the Teal Memorial locker room. No, she's not dead. Definitely not. She might as well be my co-host. She's here. The spirit of Teal is just right next to me and is motoring me through. And you know whose wedding I would definitely go to, maybe be their best man, maybe give them away if they needed to be given away and that's a thing that they do during their wedding? Our new Patreon subscribers. So, shout out to our new producer-level patron, He Sells, She Sells. Nope, He Sells, Seashells. This feels intentional. I'll do it because thank you for being a a new producer-level patron. And shout out to Kendra Hadley, who raised up to the producer-level patron status. So, our new producer-level patrons are Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Ross Papa, Cody Powell, Salvador Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge, Shooby Dooby Doo, I'm Adam Silver, Godzilla Got Busy, Dame Judy Dench is my DM, Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Soph Slam Shops, Steph Curry for three, Siobhan Ellsbury, and now... Kendra Hadley, and he sells seashells. 
you all got honored by common with rhymes that kind of fit your last name, but didn't actually. It's like Hadley was rhymed with not badly. So like common tried a little bit, I guess. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. It really helps us able to do everything that we're able to do to do podcasting full time. There's no one who cares about this more than Mike and I, that we get to do this and we get to just do basketball stuff and do our other podcasts. And it's your direct support that enables us to get this going. So thank you so much. I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, and that is Tavor. Tavor is the app for fans of beer, craft brews, and people who like trying new and exciting things. All you have to do is sign up in the app and you choose the beers that you're interested in. And they always have two new ones daily and you add it to your crate. So you have this app and you're like, oh, I really want to try this beer or, oh, I really want to try this other beer. And I've never had it before. I love Tavor. I've been using Tavor for years. I love Tavor because they work with brands that I personally love from like my time being a beer aficionado, like Westbrook. Westbrook is an amazing brewery out of South Carolina and I never get a chance to try any of their stuff. I mean, they have some stuff that distributes to New York, but I like the really, really cool stuff. So I've gotten a chocolate peanut butter stout from them, and I just got a s'mores called the S'mores of Gondor stout, and it's it just, it's going to be amazing, and I look forward to that coming all the time, and I get to know about it because of Tavor. So if you're a beer aficionado and you want a cost-effective way to find new stuff and have it delivered to your door, it's so easy. You download the Tavor app, use code HORSE for $10 off your first order of $25 or more. Tavor is spelled T-A-V-O-U-R. You can use the link in our episode description. And finally, I want to tell you about this amazing thing that I've been working on. It is called Next Stop. It is the newest podcast that's coming from Multitude. It is an audio sitcom that I wrote myself, that Brandon Grugel directed, that Amanda is executive producing, that Julia assistant directed. Uh, it is a sitcom that is near and dear to my heart. I love Friends. I love How I Met Your Mother. And I wanted to make something that would be amazing for podcasting, but also a sitcom for the 21st century. So go wherever you get your podcasts. Look up Next Stop or Multitude and subscribe. You can hear the trailer and episodes are coming out in April. I think you're really going to like it. If you like my jokes here, you're also going to like the jokes that I wrote. Okay, so let's throw it over to Mike in the past. Who's going to do or that actually happened? Eric, at the time of recording this, it is before NBA All-Star Weekend. At the time of posting, it is after NBA All-Star Weekend. Time travel, baby. That's how we do. NBA All-Star Weekend is very near and dear to my heart. I love all the competitions. I love all of the silly things that happen. And it always falls near my birthday because it's always in mid-February and my birthday is the 17th. But what I've decided to do for this that actually happened is give you a gift. Oh. And this gift that I will be giving you is telling you and everyone the story of Larry Bird's historic three-point shootout three-peat. Yes! <laughs> because it's very fun. It's very good. And also, I think Larry Bird has now officially cemented himself in third place of mm-hmm. most mentioned on horse behind Shaq and Charles Barkley. Yeah. I and then, of course, Sue Bird is in her own pantheon. <laughs> she, of she's the goddess above touch. all. A little Sue Bird update, bird watching. She's playing basketball again with the U.S. national team. Let's go. And it's really good. And I follow a lot of WNBA players on Instagram, and they're all posting that they're excited to be playing with Sue Bird. Like, Kelsey Plum posted a photo on Instagram of her playing with Sue Bird, and the caption was like, achieving my dreams. <laughs> 
I think we need to literally make this formal. I think we need to have a, an NBA player bracket mm-hmm. and like a not NBA player, like for coaches mm-hmm. and GMs and management, yeah. people like that. And then we just have a larger pantheon <laughs> above it. I'm going to make this. I got Canva Pro. It's for professionals. I'm going to make this later. It's going to be great. Before we begin, <laughs> let me give a huge shout out to Professor Parquet, which is a Good. Celtics nickname based on the floor wood pattern Let's of go. the Boston Garden, who wrote a really great write-up on CelticsBlog.com, giving so many details about this three-peat. So shout out to this professor for providing so much information. Wonderful. So we're at the 1986 All-Star Weekend. And they have All-Star Saturday is when you have all of these silly competitions like the three-point contest, the dunk contest. Now we have the Taco Bell Skills Challenge, et cetera. That didn't endure for a long time. That's not from the ABA? No. So you know what they used to do, which I learned by reading this, which makes me sad? They used to do an old-timers game. Oh, that would have been good. Like, that's super fun. I guess the big three exists now, so that's kind of the perpetual old-timers game. That's kind of like the celebrity game, right? Because you have, like, celebrities and then you have old NBA players and WN yeah. players were in there. I don't like that the celebrity game has now gone downhill where they're getting many people that I've never heard of. Mm. And now they're putting in old NBA players and then sometimes WNBA players, even current WNBA players, and they just torch them. But, like, I love watching Justin Bieber get dunked on. Right, but I miss when it was, like, mid-2000s and these celebrities were actually trying in the Celebrity All-Star game. Like, Nelly versus Justin Bieber was an actual matchup. Timberlake was an actual baller. And... I don't know. You still get some good glistens, such as Artie Duncan, who was Secretary of Oh, he was something, and he's actually very good. Secretary of Education. Barack Obama made a huge deal of that. I would have watched that on pay per view. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about Shaq versus Hakeem, but I want Barack versus Artie Duncan. That'd be good. Maybe like Democrats. (laughs) Everything else is terrible. Get the fuck on that. Instead of an Iowa caucus, I just want Bernie dunking on people. (laughs) So to round out the night, they have. The three-point contest. And for anyone unaware of the three-point contest, you would have five racks of five balls each. But the last ball in each rack is an ABA basketball. So the ABA used to play with a red, white, and blue basketball with alternating around the panels. So the last ball in each rack was worth two points. So the highest score that you could get at the time was 30 if you made every single shot. This was the first year that they were doing it. They choose Larry Bird for the event. And once Larry Bird was chosen for the event, he practiced shooting from the five spots for weeks leading up to the contest. Literal weeks of practice. Larry Bird is so wild to me because when he decides he wants to care about something, Mm -hmm. he'll destroy it. But like he cares about things like 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, I'm going to like gain 10 pounds because I'm just eating ice cream. I'm going to like play with one hand. But no, now Larry Bird's like, oh, three-point shots? I'll do that. I want to beat people in a recreational game. A big reason why he was trying so hard was that he was getting egged on by his teammates Danny Ainge and Scott Wedman. Yep. Who were both very good three-point shooters at the time, but they were not asked to be a part of the competition. Here's a very fun thing that happened because 1986 is 1986 and people didn't shoot as many three-pointers. Bird was selected because he led the NBA in three-pointers made that season and attempted. Now, do you have a guess for how many three-pointers Larry Bird attempted to set the record in for the season, season prior? I think it's the season prior. Okay. I'd say it's like no more than like 200. Mm-hmm. He attempted 194. Yep. <laughs> And he made 82. I think I've attempted 194 three-pointers this season. Now, name someone who's, like, fine at shooting three-pointers. Oh, um, 
No, let's say Zach Levine. He's okay. in the three-point contest this year. Okay. And he, he's just like, he's fine. Okay. Zach Levine is in the three-point contest this year mainly because All-Star Weekend is in Chicago and no right. Bulls were doing anything. And he's already, he's already there. <laughs> he's shooting 37.6% from three this year, which is above average, but not, not super. unreal. If we look at his statistics for just this season so far, and the season is halfway through, not even, he has attempted 410 three-pointers, <laughs> and he has made 154. Okay, so he's made a, a not-great three-point shooter, has made almost as many as Larry Bird attempted an entire season. In the 2017-28 season, Zach Levine tore his ACL and only played 24 games. He shot 123 three-pointers. Oh <laughs> Oh, sports. So the 80s, very different. So Larry is in. He's trying very hard to win. His teammates are giving him crap, so he wants to prove to them he wins. So the competition is about to begin. Larry Bird is the tallest of the group. It is mostly guards that are participating, but Larry is representing the forwards. He wants to establish himself as the front runner right away. True. You mean, oh, you mean uh, what Larry Bird does all the time? He would do that in a Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. He'd come to the front and he's like, I want all the donuts, please. None, no one else gets Dunkin' Donuts. He enters the locker room before the contest starts, asking everyone, which one of you guys is going to finish second? Yes, <laughs> good. I was, in my head, I've been like trying to slowly pull together just sick burns from Larry Bird, but I feel like over time, we've just collected all of them together. <laughs> so, Bird looked at the lineup before him. And the only person that he viewed as a real threat was Craig Hodges of Milwaukee. However, there was another player, Leon Wood, from the Washington Bullets, who was, you know, potentially going to do well. But he had mentioned to Larry Bird that he thought that the ABA balls, the red, white, and blue ones, mm-hmm. were a little slicker than the other balls. And he complained that he couldn't get a good grip on them. So Larry because Bird, they're, like, new, right? I have no idea. Maybe just they were made differently or the the paint on them makes right, it right. different. But Bird just dives right into this, grabs a ball, and he's like, yeah, this is really hard to handle and shoot. This thing is so slick. I don't know how you're going to shoot this. <laughs> he's such an asshole. Oh, I watched in that SB Nation video about Larry Bird and Bill Lambeer. And Bill Lambeer. And the photos of Larry Bird throughout the years, he always looks, and with all due respect, the best player who ever played for my favorite team, he always looked pretty jacked up. (laughs) Like, his mustache was always the worst. Yeah. His mullet was bad. His short haircut was bad. He never had a good haircut. So this motherfucker with a terrible mustache Mm -hmm. walks up to you and be like, hey, fuck yourself. Pretty much. Pretty much. So Hodges, the only person that Larry feared, did well. He scored 25 out of 30 points, which is very solid. That was still... Until they changed the format, that mark has never been defeated. It was tied twice by Jason Capono in 2007-2008. Shout out to Jason Capono, who did well in the three-point contest, but not really in the season, but still was given a big contract because of his performance in the three-point contest, basically, and then never played well afterwards. If I was a rapper, I'd say shout out to Jason Capono before every track. Instead of Derulo? Jason Capono! (laughs) (laughs) So the way that the format of the contest works is that you have eight competitors, four make it to the second round, and then two make it to the finals, and then you have one winner. Mm-hmm. So Bird only scored 16 points, barely getting into the second round. He was the lowest of the four people. So he's like, all right, I got to heat this up. He goes into the semis, and he scores 18 points, so does a little bit better. A fun note about this working, and especially being peak 1986, is that the competitors have a minute to shoot all of these shots. The way that they helped people know what 
time was left without having to constantly look at the clock is that they played the theme song from the incredibly popular show at the time, Miami Vice, <laughs> in the background. Because I guess the intro to Miami Vice it's was a minute long. Seconds, yeah. <laughs> so the players who all are watching this show and know it by heart know, oh, it's almost the end of the theme song. I'm running out of time. That's how they tracked time in 1986. Honestly, though, like if maybe two years ago, they're like, all right, 60 seconds on the clock. Let's play the Game of Thrones theme song. I would not be surprised at all. Like that, that, <laughs> like, yes. Except the Game of Thrones theme song, I think, is 12 minutes long? 13 minutes it's long? It's actually, <laughs> instead of a clock, they play the Game of Thrones theme song right at the end, then you put up the buzzer beater. And then everyone dies. So we get to the final round. Of course, it is between Bird and Hodges. Before Hodges starts, Bird stands next to him and imitates him briefly, laughs, and walks away. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, goddamn. Now, Hodges was at a disadvantage in the finals here because in the previous round, he had to go to a shoot-off because he tied someone. Mm -hmm. So he was especially tired because he had to shoot an extra round. And he has not been practicing for weeks on end like Larry Bird. So he only scores 12 points in the finals. What's fantastic is that the broadcast booth for this contest was Rick Barry, our favorite underhand free throw shooting friend, and Bill Russell. I guess. I mean, if you have him around. <laughs> After Hodges only scored 12 points, Bill Russell, about Hodges, who's only six foot one and a half, said, no legs left for the little guy. <laughs> I love that because Bill Russell was like notoriously like a quiet and stoic person. Mm -hmm. Like, you know who would be great on TV? This tall man <laughs> who doesn't speak a lot. <laughs> but I guess he hates short people. <laughs> So Larry Bird comes in and he's just ready to go. He starts nailing him. He's swishing almost everything. The crowd is going nuts. So halfway through the round, he had 13 points. Mm -hmm. He already knows at this point that he's won of because course. he's got more than 12. So he starts having a little bit of fun. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> so it's going to be on. That's going to be the first line of his of. um. Oh, fuck. I want to say epilogue, but that's not the word I'm looking for. It's, you know, in the newspaper when someone dies? Oh, his obituary. His obituary, yes. Larry Bird. Then he started having a little bit of fun. <laughs> so on the fourth rack, he gets to the money ball, and he intentionally banks it in, so shoots it off of the backboard and in. What an asshole. <laughs> Rick Barry goes, give me a break, Larry, on the broadcast. And Dominique Wilkins, who was also in the booth, he was rooting for Hodges, who was on the Hawks, his teammate. After Larry banks it in, he goes, that's why they call him the Birdman, which makes no <laughs> fucking sense. That makes nothing unless you're making an homage to the fact that birds sometimes fly into windows and you can call the backboard the window sometime because it's made of glass. Dominique Wilkins had such a terrible relationship with the backboard. I just... Because he broke it so many times. I, like, mm, he respects it. I don't like that. But it's just... why? Do, hey, hey, Larry Bird, why do they call you the bird man? Because I make banked three-pointers sometimes. Also... No, it's because your last name's Larry. Your, bird, your name is Larry fucking Bird. <laughs> That's why they call you the bird man. Listen, he's the human highlight reel. He's not the uh, human announcer who knows comparisons real good. <sighs> I guess. So he gets to the last rack in the right corner, makes some more shots, and then on the last money ball, he shoots it as high as he possibly can what in the air. Asshole. And it just barely rims out. <laughs> so he Larry Bird <laughs> is such an asshole. 
<laughs> so he finishes with 22 points. Definitely could have had more, but he wanted to have some fun. He walked away screaming, I am the three-point king. <laughs> Pumped both arms in the air. He does give a high 10 to Hodges. What's very cool about this competition and this whole three-peat is that Larry Bird is a huge asshole this whole time, but everyone has so much fun. Like, everyone knows that Larry Bird is taking this too seriously. So it's like he does things that should piss people off, but everyone just has so much fun with it that nobody cares. If he wasn't as good as he is, I think all of that would come crumbling down. Right. So it's very fun. It's all playful beef. What's great is they interview Kevin McHale, his teammate on the Celtics at the time, about Larry's win. And McHale said, quote, as soon as I heard Larry could win $10,000 in one day for shooting three-pointers, I knew it was over. (laughs) Ah, the two things that motivate Larry Bird, embarrassing people and easy money. Bird afterwards being interviewed about it, he said, quote, that check has had my name on it for weeks. But then he smiled and he said, really, I got lucky, which, of course, is not true and not what he meant at all. So that was like if I got lucky, you mean prepared a lot for it and then destroyed everyone in your wake. Then, yes, you were Mm -hmm. super lucky. So the next year, 1987, this one is in Seattle and it's not necessarily notable for a bunch of theatrics, but the field was a lot better. And it was a very close call for Larry Bird in the first round because he ended up tying. He had to do one of those shootouts and he ended up making it to the second round. In the semis, he got 18 points, which is huge. And then Detlef Schrempf, one of our other friends, of course, mainly because of his name and his appearance on Parks and Rec, he got 16. So it was Bird versus Schrempf in Bird the versus Schrempf. <laughs> so I heard that's the new Fast and Furious spinoff. So Bird... Bird and, Bird and Trump. Bird and Trump. <laughs> no, it's the sequel to Rizzoli and Isles. <laughs> Bird and Trump. Yeah, I'll take that. Solving crimes. So Bird is absolutely destroying. Bird into the last rack had 14 points, which is looking pretty good, but he only makes two of the last rack. So he, he has 16, which is good, but not super safe. Detlef Schrempf only scored 14. So Larry Bird ekes out a brief victory. Uh, going back to Bird and Shrimp, I think it would be great if they went undercover because they're both just incredibly tall, blonde white men. Mm-hmm. So be like, <laughs> it's like, no, we are just two regular Joes at the bar. I'm like, no, you're Larry Bird and Detlef Shrimp. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're just both, Detlef, you have a fake mustache and Larry Bird, that's your actual mustache. They're also, yeah, also not great for undercover. So tall. Yeah, it'd be like, so pasty. Wait, are you, are you two both famous NBA players? <laughs> What was great about this one, though, is Schrempf had 14 points going into the last money ball shot, which was with two. So while Schrempf shot it, Larry Bird intently was watching on one knee. <laughs> and then once it missed, he just got up, high tend Danny Ainge, and then shook that left's hand. I just appreciate that Larry Bird wants people to think that he doesn't care about things, but he cares about cares things so, so much. much. <laughs> So much. It's like, Larry, this is all televised. We can see you doing this. So then we get into the 1988 shootout. And this one is the most dramatic by far. This is the most ridiculous. So Larry Bird goes in the first round, gets 17 points, which is super solid. He is second of the four people to move on. So in the semis, Larry Bird gets his best score ever of 23 to just really cement himself above the field. Remember, 25 is the highest ever to be scored. To get the 23, it was incredible. He was nailing shots left and right, but there was a point where he made seven consecutive shots. Wow. So he was feeling 
it. That's wild because that's like at least two spots where he's doing that consecutively. Yes. It spans two. And even when he got to the last rack, normally when you are a right-handed shooter like Larry Bird is, you want the rack on your right. But the last rack is on, if you're looking at the rim, the left side of the court, and he was running low on time. So he just ran, and rather than take the time to go on the other side of the rack, just picked them up from the left and still shot them very well. (laughs) You know, because the Miami Vice theme song was almost out. Oh, no. (laughs) Standing ovation, he just gives a nice little fist pump on his way back to the bench. (laughs) A singular, a singular personal fist Mm -hmm. pump. So obviously Larry Bird advances to the finals against Dale Ellis. Uh, Well, we all know who Dale Ellis is, so Dale Ellis must have won this. Yes, this is the conclusion to the story is (laughs) beloved supersonic Dale Ellis defeats Larry Bird. In In the annals of history, Dale Ellis's name rings out as the man who defeated Larry Bird. So Dale Ellis goes first. He scores 15 points. Bird goes up for the finals. Larry Bird is still wearing his warmups. Oh, this this is that. I've seen this photo before. He looks like he just got off the couch. <laughs> but I mean, he always kind of looked like that, but ex- extremely wearing his warm-ups. He's like, oh, I was just, I fell asleep in these. Like, do you need me for something? Apparently, his teammate John Havlicek told him to wear the warm-ups. I guess so that it more replicated when you shoot warm-ups before a game, which is right. the time when you're just shooting a lot, not necessarily in a game situation. That's my only thought. But... It clearly worked since he scored 23 points in the previous round. (laughs) So Larry is up. He just has to beat 15 points. And he has all of the pressure on to get this three-peat. This one I'm going to take you rack by rack. All right. So he goes into the right corner, the first one. He only made one of the first three. And then he made the money ball. So he's got three points going into the second rack. Okay. He misses his first two at the second rack. He then misses one long. But then he makes four and the money ball. So he's going in to the third rack in the middle of the court with six points. He misses to the left. He misses long. He misses again. Then he makes the fourth shot and the money ball rimmed out. So he's going into the final two racks only with seven points. He needs to get eight, okay. which is a significant amount to do. That's a number of balls. <laughs> it's a number of balls that he needs to make. Rick Barry in the best reverse jinx of all time. Who's now, two years later, he's still in <laughs> still the Still doing it. He says, <laughs> he doesn't have that normal bird rhythm. He's got 25 seconds left when he goes into these final two racks. Less than half of a Miami Vice? <laughs> Larry Bird makes a first shot. He makes the second shot. He makes the third shot. Of course. He makes the fourth shot. Uh, he makes the money ball. Larry! <laughs> so he has a perfect fourth rack. He's got 13 points going in to the final rack. He just needs to get three points. 13 seconds are remaining when he gets to this rack. Mm -hmm. First shot, he misses. Second shot, he misses. He's shooting them so quickly at this point. Normally at the three-point contest, you shoot them, you look to see how it goes in, then you shoot another. He's just grabbing and shooting and grabbing and shooting and not even looking if they go in. But, of course, he's Larry Bird. He knows how many he needs to make, and (laughs) he can tell from crowd reactions if they're going in or not. Shot number three goes in. So he's at 14 points. He then shoots the fourth one which is to tie it, swishes it. Of course. So now he's at the money ball, which either he's going to go into a shootout or he's going to win. He shoots the final ball. Rick Barry says, this is for the win. (laughs) What a good announcer. While the ball is still in the air, Larry Bird walks away, points his finger in the air, goes straight to the bench, doesn't even look, goes in, he wins, 
crowd goes nuts. Absolutely nuts. Pumps his fists, gets a standing ovation, and he won, making a three-peat in the most dramatic of fashion. Oh, God. For the NBA three-point contest. Oh, Larry. Good job, bud. Proud of you. What an asshole. That's really what I took away from this. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing, there is... nothing about Larry Bird surprises me. There is more. Bob Neal, who is the TBS play-by-play commentator, as Bird was walking past the bench to accept the trophy, says he has ice water in his veins. <laughs> Rick Barry said, just spectacular. He was all over the place early, but then it came down to the... <laughs> But then it came down to the money time, and this is how the man responded. Money he, time? <laughs> Rick Barry, everyone. All right, Rick Barry, okay. He needed to make the last three shots in a row to win, and now he's a winner three times in a row. Amazing. Oh, Larry. Danny Ainge said about it, quote, it's almost as if Larry missed on purpose until the end to make him more dramatic. Here's another thing I learned about this. Like, everyone on the Celtics at that time were just, like, big goons. Like, big jamokes. John Havlicek, big jamoke. Danny Ainge, big jamoke. Everyone here is just feeding into Larry doing terrible things. Mm-hmm. So, and then Robert Parrish, like, sprayed whipped cream on, on the bench, and he sat down in it. It was a big, it was a big joke. <laughs> So that is the time that Larry Bird won a three-peat of three-point contests from 86 to 88. I love it. And that actually happened. That actually happened. I love it so much. Thank you so much. This really was a gift for me. I like that a lot. You know, last time I did it, that actually happened. I told you about how the Celtics done goofed to the Knicks, so it felt only proper to give you a story where the Celtics do well. And not even just Larry Bird, but his his teammates giving great quotes and egging him on and stuff. I love that. It's a whole Boston Celtics affair. And then Danny Age became the most important GM of our time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a gift in return. Okay. And I'm going to do this in our uh, overtime. Okay. But I I want to tell you the story of when Larry Bird continuously ordered wedding cakes. Okay. Interesting. So go to our Patreon and listen to that. All right. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the finally hitting a three-pointer to Ben Simmons, Eric Silver. How's it going? I am unexpected, and everyone's tweeting about me. Thank you. (laughs) So, we are so excited to be here in Houston. We're very excited to open for Potterless, one of my favorite podcasts. That guy, Mike Schubert. Mike Schubert's putting us on. It's so nice of him. He's, He's such so a great. nice stand-up guy. I really enjoy him a lot. But I'm so glad that my co-host, Michael Schubert, is here, though. <laughs> totally different person. So, we are here in Houston, which my semi-home. I lived here for 10 years. I went to Rice. I wanted to rep it. Yeah, woo, all right. Oh, so. Yeah, things I know. All right. (laughs) Texas. Okay. So so to pay homage to Houston, what we've done for this horse opening act is that we have provided a special three-on-three where Eric and I are going to be discussing our three favorite things about a particular element of the local sports franchise here, the Houston Rockets. Oh. Why? Dallas Mavs fan in the audience. Someone (laughs) drove really far to boo at this live show. (laughs) 
So we're so, gonna do. Sorry, I didn't say the thing. One, two, three. Three, two, one. <laughs> three on three. Before we get into the Houston stuff, do you want to tell everyone how much you've enjoyed Houston? And by Houston, I mean eating food. Yes, exactly. I woke up at 4 a.m. today and I got to Houston at 9 a.m. into Bush. And since then, I ate kolaches, which I keep saying in, with a you Spanish accent. You keep putting flavor on it, like, ooh, I had kolaches for breakfast. <laughs> there was jalapenos in it, so it's there not were. just kolaches <laughs> with the jalapenos. And then I, they're delicious. And then I got, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to do the last one less. And I got these amazing hot dogs from uh, Moon Tower Inn. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I did, Mike was like, okay, you got to believe me. <laughs> But uh, I have this really secret taco place. And then Mike's dad was like, that's closed. And Mike was like, no! <laughs> and, then he's like, and then he called them and was like, are you still open? And they were like, yes. <laughs> so he, he drove me 35 minutes to go to this taco stand. It is a pulled over taco truck. It's called Taqueria Ruby. It's like parked by Huffmeister. If you guys haven't eaten there, you all live in Houston. Go. Like... It's 24 hours, so we're like, once the show's over, just go. It's, it is so good. It's delicious. But the best thing about it is that it's like pulled over on the side of the road, and there's just like a ton of birds. It's like an aviary. And I do not say aviary lightly. <laughs> there's Pigeons, like a whole, parrots, parrots, a turkey quail, looking thing, quails. I'm just like, is this a place that you eat tacos? He's like, yeah, I love it so much. And I'm just like staring face to face with a macaw. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. And then the tacos were amazing. <laughs> it was so good. I ate the best elote in a cup I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, I don't know how James Harden doesn't walk out with food in his beard every single game. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, speaking of James Harden. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Mike somehow knew <laughs> there was a big photo of James Harden's face uh, making a surprised face. This is terrifying. I don't like that. (laughs) So let's do the three. Why don't you start with your three things that you've prepared about the lovely, beloved Houston Rockets? Hey, Michael, while I'm doing this, do you want to, like, brag about something? Yes. We sold out this show, which is nuts. (laughs) It is very cool. It's a very cool feeling when my friends are like, oh, yeah, you're doing that podcast thing, right? Maybe I'll go. And then I get to say, you can't. (laughs) Because there's no more tickets. Do you want to brag about another thing that happened on the internet? Oh, right, yeah. We, uh, this morning, were, Horse was chosen as Discover Pod 2019 second best sports podcast. <laughs> and I won't call out individual things, but we beat a lot of podcasts run by a very reputable sports website with four letters. <laughs> who has lots of money. And we beat almost all of their shows. That's true. We beat a sports giant LMNOP. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mike, we're, we're having fun here. We're having a laugh. But here, uh, Mike, I have something very important to share with you. I did tell you before that I was going to talk about uh, beloved general manager Daryl Morey in my three-on-three. You did. Now, what I wanted to whittle this down, it's not just about him as a person because he's stirred up China, uh, everything, because he decided to be an international incident. Hilarious. Look, he just wants to increase the variance at any chance he can. <laughs> I think this was a mistake to do a basketball podcast with more fatherless. Because no one laughed at that joke. One person at home was like, ha! <laughs> and I'm there for them. It was you listening back to this episode. Probably, probably. 
But Mike, did you know that Daryl Morey also has another passion other than numbers? It is sponsoring theater in Houston. Oh, and cool. I, and I would like to tell you the three most buckwild facts about a musical commissioned by Daryl Morey. Okay. I'm on board. I had no idea this was a thing. Oh, wonderful. I'm so sorry this is not, uh, the, the run of this musical has closed, and I wish I could have seen it. I truly, it's like it was genetically made to make a horse segment. So you're saying it's not Shen Yun, which has been in theaters for the past 50 years. <laughs> oh no, I have to change all of my notes. <laughs> I come home like every three months and the billboard is still there. They're like, Shen Yun, it's, it's happening. Going. It is still going. The musical is called Small Ball. Ooh. It was commissioned by Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey. Mikkel Maher wrote the book and lyrics. Anthony Barilla did the music. And Meryl Van Jeek did the music as well. Uh, this went in the Catastrophic Theater in Houston. I don't know if anybody knows that. I think it's an experimental theater in Houston. And I was just blown away. Uh, this came up on my feed a little while ago. And I remember this. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I get to tell Mike about this. <laughs> the, here's the most, uh, the first most ridiculous thing about this musical commissioned by Daryl Morey. Twitter made it happen. <gasps> oh, good. They actually did something for once. I know, right. But it happened back in 2014. The uh, last so time. So before Nazis came back. That's true. <laughs> they were always there, Mike. They were just waiting. <laughs> they weren't in the public. They were waiting. So back in 2014, Daryl Morey was traveling to Stuttgart, Germany on a tour to looking scouting out German players. And as he would in Twitter in 2004, he was like, lol, ask me anything. All right, all right. That's not explicitly what he said. He did not say, lol, ask me anything. <laughs> I am paraphrasing. But he literally did say, I'm in Stuttgart, Germany, and I'm trying to kill some time. Ask me anything. So uh, a hero uh, named At Rags Two Rockets asked. That's a good Twitter <laughs> handle. That's good. Listen, they still, hopefully they still got it back in 2014 and they're <laughs> not canceled or banned. <laughs> uh, they asked, if you weren't working in basketball, what would your dream job be? And Maury replied, theater director. But of course, it's like in 2014, uh, Twitter. So it's like, theater director, retweet at Rags Two Rockets. <laughs> if you weren't here working in basketball, what would your dream job be? So this caught the attention of Jason Nodler, the artistic director of the Catastrophic Theater, who is a massive Rockets fan. There was a video made by the NBA because they were so fascinated by this musical. They interviewed him and they were like, so what did you do? And he's like, I sent a really just a brief note to him being like, hey, I'm a musical director. But I'm imagining in reality, the, <laughs> the note, note was like a one line email that was just like, hey, you want to be in theater? <laughs> you want to do it? <laughs> I love basketball. And I love you. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Maury was like, yeah. And then they started working together. Amazing. And it turns out that I learned from this video that Daryl Maury was a huge band geek. He found musicals in high school. He was listening off all this stuff. And he was like, oh, yeah, I love Les Mis and Miss Saigon. And you know he was actually a theater geek because he, he literally, and I quote, said, and then you hit the drug of Sondheim and you're hooked. Uh <laughs> And I'm like, oh, you're in deep, Maury. <laughs> you know, you are Sundaying your parks with George, sir. You've got the crowd back online. You're like, Sondheim. And all the Harry <laughs> Potter nerds are like, ooh, what? They're like, I don't know who the Houston Rockettes are. <laughs> but now I'm back, baby. <laughs> They're like, they don't know what their hometown teen is. We're like, I don't know if you knew this, but General Manager Daryl Morey loves Sondheim. <laughs> 
<laughs> Stupid. All right, let's go to the second one. I need to explain to you the premise of this because the second most buckwild thing about this was that it's set in the world of Gulliver's Travels. Oh my. I know. <laughs> now, Mike, I know you only care about math and have never read anything except for some children's books one time. <laughs> I read seven of them. It's a lot. Like I said, some children's books one time. You didn't reread them. I did not. <laughs> it, uh, this was written by satirist Jonathan Swift. Uh, he also wrote The Indecent Proposal. is the one where, you know, you eat Irish babies to cure famine. Mm-hmm. This is, do you remember any of this stuff? I do actually know both of the things you've mentioned. I'm, Gulliver's Shovels is like Lilliputians, tiny people. Yes. So the, yes. Bang, 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 bang. So we're going to talk about the Lilliputians. So basically, for those of you who don't know, Gulliver was an explorer because, lol, that's all you did in 16th century U- UK. You're like, I'm going to go see who I can conquer. Bah, 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 bah. Do you think people like in the future are going to think about certain jobs back then, like our job, they're going to be like, they just talked to people on the internet and that was it? People, <laughs> people say that about podcasting now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love when my friends ask me, like, it, it pays the bills? <laughs> and you're you like, just do that? And you're like, don't worry. It's about Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing to know is that this was a satire of British culture in the 1600s and the 1700s. And it really was, like, really sticking it to some people who are no longer alive now. But the important thing to know is that the Lilliputians were six inches tall. And they were really into getting, like, scrapping over very small matters. So these people are, like, very dramatic people does not make up for the fact that a musical is about these small peoples but let's let's all come together a thing that i did not remember about gulliver's travels is that he's charged for treason for peeing on a fire because he is a giant and he was putting out a fire in the only way you know how which i guess works for six for six he's just thinking on his feet i don't know I mean, enough to get treason for it. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was worth it. So here is the su- so here's the summary of the musical. So Small Ball takes place on the island of the Lilliputian Island. They've officially announced their existence to the rest of the world. And of course, when that happens, you now have a basketball team. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you want to know the name of their basketball team? Is it a pun? Um, it's n- no. Okay. Then- <laughs> Yes, then I do want to know, and I will not guess. They're the Lilliputian Existers. <laughs> this is a high-minded musical, y'all. <laughs> Buckle the fuck up. <laughs> I like how people make fun of some NBA team names. Like, oh, the Jazz, what are they going to do? Music me to death? But the Existers, it's like, we're here. <laughs> There's five of us. <laughs> Actually, there were only four of them because the Lilliputians also could only count up to four and did not know the number five existed. I swear to God, this is in the musical. (laughs) Now, as a way to make them more serious... I know! It's a number! As a way to make themselves more serious contenders, because, you know, they're six inches tall and bad at basketball, they signed a regular-sized human to play on their team. Now, the human's name is Michael Jordan. It's just straight up? Michael J- it is Michael Jordan. This is just Space Jam. <laughs> With instead of minus Looney Tunes, add Gulliver's Travels. Oh, that cartoon that kids love? No, that book you had to read your junior year in AP English class with Mr. Fritch. That's at least what I had to do. <laughs> yeah, let's cut all of the Looney Tunes and put it satire. <laughs> 
Everyone's favorite cartoon character. The kids from the 1800s will love it. (laughs) (laughs) They'll yeet this musical. (laughs) Did I say that right? (laughs) I wrote this musical. (laughs) So the thing is, is that as you get farther into it, you remember that Daryl Morey is involved, that the writer of the book and the musical, they are big basketball fans. The third most buckwild thing about this musical, it's so hoarse it hurts me on the inside. Ooh, I'm excited. So the thing is, it's, it's set within the larger structure of basketball. So the entire setting is in post-game interviews. So there's really no, there's no changing, oh, really, good. of the set. Like they, There's always the table in front, and there are the microphones that they use are in front of them, and they have different chairs that they come up with where either the coach comes up or the assistant coach or the players. And there, don't worry, there is a manager of statistics because just Daryl Morey can't let that go. He Analytics, likes numbers. Baby. That's his thing. Analytics, baby. Yeah, he loves musicals and numbers. He is truly someone no one else can relate to. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing is about Michael Jordan, his main thing is that he's very sulky, and he doesn't like participating with other people, much like the actual Michael Jordan. But the, the twist on this is that Michael Jordan is not, of course, Michael Jordan. He's a journeyman who's, you know, when you're not playing in the NBA or you're not good enough or you kind of age out, you have to go to different countries. So we're talking about, like, the fact that you need to leave and the whole, like, going abroad and what that means for you as, like, an older athlete. So they're, like, examining him as a character. The other thing is that Michael Jordan doesn't like passing the ball, much like regular Michael Jordan Prime. <laughs> and not Michael B. Jordan, I checked. But Michael Jordan doesn't want to pass them the ball because he's worried he'll crush them. So it's oh, like so kind of the opposite. Yeah, so it's Unlike like kind of the real side. Michael Jordan in the real world. So who does not care about anyone except for who he bet next. <laughs> so there are also uh, a lot of other jokes that they make about this. So they're trying to convince Michael Jordan to pass the ball, and the assistant coach suggests that they line the court with 600 tiny archers who, if Michael Jordan does not pass, can shoot him in the face with 600 arrows, each of which is tipped with poison. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. Here's the thing. Other people are named after basketball people. The assistant coach is named Pippin after Scottie Pippin. Uh, The coach of the existers refers to himself as Phil Jackson, but his wife has a different last name? I do not understand this. Uh, The third and the fourth players on the team are named Bird and Magic. Uh, It turns out Bird is a black woman who is pregnant the whole time and has a baby off stage. I don't know, guys. (laughs) Again, high concept musical. This is a basketball podcast. And and in the exception of Lily, who is Phil Jackson's daughter in the whole show and also plays on the basketball team, all of them are named after American NBA players, and I just find that ridiculous. Uh, Also in the book, they slipped in a bunch of references to Stefan Marbury, who also has a musical about him, which you would know if you listen to Horse. Listen to Horse, guys! (laughs) And also uh, things about statistics that Daryl Morey would slip in every once in a while. So it really inflected the fact that they're living in this space of basketball, and I thought that that was really wild. I'm really upset that I didn't get to see it. It ran last year for about a month, and of course I had not been in Houston because I did not know what a kolache is yet. (laughs) So I missed it. Um, I just one thing it's that Daryl Moore was very involved in the process. Like he was really an executive uh, producer as long as being like commissioning the thing. So there was a moment in the video where Daryl Moore was like, "Yeah, man, I'm just like I'm such a fan of musical theater as I know they are a fan of basketball." And I think he was talking to I guess one of the AV people, and he was like, 
So there was this uh, this moment when there was a violin and it was really loud and it kept getting louder and it went, and went like, Wah. yeah, I think it was too loud. I think we should turn it down. And then the AV, AV person was like, okay, terrifying. <laughs> so I don't know how much of that stuff that they took, but Mike, this actually happened. Wild. Daryl Morey commissioned a musical which is vaguely about basketball and I got to share it with you and I'm happy that I did. That's very good and very complex. My three things that I've prepared are much simpler, but also spicier. So <laughs> Spicier than Sondheim, go on. <laughs> so uh, you are aware, and some people in the room may be aware, that the Rockets have a new player in the team this year, and his name is Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook is like if a person was caps lock, bold, underlined, italicized, and whatever the max font size is on any Microsoft product, all the time. It's like if your grandparents are texting you and they're like, I don't know why everything is in caps. Please help me. That is Russell Westbrook intentionally. Like, I think Russell Westbrook does the double exclamation point emphasis on his own texts when he sends them to people. He's that kind of guy. These shoes are Russell Westbrook shoes. I wore them specifically for this. And they're ridiculous. So, yeah, this is the kind of human we're dealing with. But what I have prepared is the three pettiest things that Russell Westbrook did in the 2014-2015 NBA season after Kevin Durant left the Oklahoma City Thunder to play for the Golden State Warriors. Why? <laughs> It's the basketball equivalent of a breakup, and Russell Westbrook did not take it well. <laughs> what I like is that you narrowed it to just this one moment, because I, I can imagine you were researching, you are like, all right, I got to find things, petty things that Russell Westbrook did. Oh, this happened in this season. Oh, this happened in this season. Oh, this happened. Oh, no. Yeah, I was trying to find the pettiest things he's ever done, and they all happened within two months of each other. <laughs> it's great. It's very fun. Don't worry. It's all good. So the third best thing that Russell Westbrook did is that to a game, uh, in the pregame, what NBA players do is they wear these very flamboyant outfits now, mainly because of Russell Westbrook. And the NBA TV, people take pictures of it, put it on the screen, etc. So it's a big deal now what you're wearing to the court. Russell Westbrook wore an orange vest, like a reflective high-vis vest, and it said official photographer on it in black. And the reason why he wore it... Because he was an official photographer. No. <laughs> Mike. That is not why... <laughs> this he, guy. <laughs> he wore this because in February of the previous year, Kevin Durant became an official photographer just for the Super Bowl because he had some like, oh, photography's always been my passion. I'm Kevin Durant. So he took photos at the Super Bowl and then wrote a whole like Players Tribune article about like how freeing the experience was. So in the first game where Russell played against Kevin, he wore that incredibly intentionally. And then everyone was like, are you wearing this because of Kevin Durant's Super Bowl thing? And he's like, no, I just think it looks good. <laughs> And it looks ridiculous, but it's also fantastic. That is incredibly petty. My favorite part about it is that Kevin Durant thinks he's a photographer. Because, like, no one's a good photographer. <laughs> like, everyone's a fine <laughs> photographer. But being like, no, I've played sports. I could be a professional photographer. Like, on one hand, that just the gall of that. But on the other hand, like... I bet he could be a professional photographer if he really wanted to. Well, what's funny is because Kevin Durant is a seven-foot-tall human being, he has proportions fit for a seven-foot-tall human. So he has this, like, you can see pictures of it. He's got a DSLR camera, and it looks like one of those, like, tiny little point-and-shoots because his hands are enormous and his body's enormous. He's, like, all hunched over trying to take a photo at the Super Bowl. It's like one of those office memes where Pam is given two things, and it's Kevin Durant holding a camera and a tripod with a camera on it. And he's like, <laughs> These are the same. 
<laughs> so that was number three. The number two is a stream of videos that he did all in the same week. So he had a commercial come out. He's signed by Jordan Brand Sneakers. He was the model for the next line of Jordan, the Jordan 31s. And he had a commercial with him on a runway, like dribbling at full speed. And in the back, he's doing a narrating. And the whole thing is like airport, runway, take air themed. And his narration in the back says at the end, it goes, some run some make runways, which was incredibly like anti-Durant, like Kevin Durant ran away from adversity and Russell Westbrook turned adversity into a runway. What? <laughs> Look, you gotta get philosophical with the pettiness. No, I got that. <laughs> no, 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 believe me, we did just talk about Gulliver's Travels earlier <laughs> in this podcast. But, like, the thing is, is that they still participate in a sport where they run. So, like, the sum includes Russell Westbrook. But he also made runways. So, so some do, are the sum. I, this is a math problem. Can the sum be also run and also be the people on the runways? Can you be both? I thought it was exclusionary. Kevin Durant is a rectangle. Russell Westbrook, a square. So, anyway, you. <laughs> if F, X equals Y and Y is run. Is X also Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook is all things. So a day earlier, <laughs> he posted a video on either Snapchat or Instagram of him dancing and singing to Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Oh, Very so it good. was a breakup. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> so, but then later on, the best video is him driving in his car. No one do this. Uh, he's driving in his car and also Snapchatting himself. No one do this. This is very dangerous. But he's, first off, not wearing a shirt. Great touch. <laughs> but he's also singing along to Lil Uzi Vert's Do What I Want, where the chorus just goes, now I do what I want over and over and over and over again. So he's driving his car just going, now I do what I want, now I do what I want, now I do what I want, over and over and over and over again. Because now that Kevin's gone, he does whatever he want. <laughs> what I do like is that he hit the spectrum of genres for breakup songs. Yeah. <laughs> you got the Alpha and the Omega, the Taylor Swift and the Lil Uzi Vert. <laughs> exactly. And then he, he has one that he didn't release when it was Sinead O'Connor. When it's like, nothing compares. <laughs> nothing compares to you. So the number one thing Russell Westbrook did is the absolute pettiest and the most harebrained scheme of all. So this was, this was the, the earliest thing, too. So this is the first thing he did, and it's like next level. It's fantastic. So Kevin Durant, when he announced that he was leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder to go to the Golden State Warriors, which was a bad move, he made this article on the Players' Tribune, which is a website where athletes write articles from their own perspective, like by themselves uh, and not other people. Just like Kevin Durant took photos mm -hmm. by himself yeah. <laughs> because he is a tripod. So he wrote an article announcing like my next chapter is going to be going on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And this happened right on July 4th. So later on the 4th of July, Russell Westbrook, because everyone, once this happened, everybody's monitoring all of Russell Westbrook's social media because they're like, what's he going to post? He's got to post something. He's Russell Westbrook. He's going to do something. So on Instagram, he posted a stack of cupcakes, USA-themed cupcakes, with the caption, happy 4th, y'all, with a United States America flag emoji. Key, key part, key part of the caption. Now, this may seem normal. 4th of July, cupcakes, America, sure. It goes so much deeper than this. <laughs> First off, it came out that 
the Oklahoma City Thunder, like as a team, their like team way to call other people soft, like saying someone's weak or not good at basketball, is they would call people cupcake. So like they'd be like, oh, that guy's such a cupcake. So by Russell Westbrook posting pictures of a cupcake, it's like, oh no, this is the Thunder's way of saying someone is bad at basketball and slash or not a good person. What I think is wild is that I... Cupcake is definitely something uh, to be soft, but I'm like, do they call them flags? Like, how does this relate to 4th of July? (laughs) So, if you think, oh, okay, Cupcake's 4th of July, sure, that's it. It goes even deeper than that. It's three tiers. The first, like a a three-tiered plate display of the cupcakes. The first tier has eight cupcakes on it. Kevin Durant played on the Thunder with Russell Westbrook for eight years. The second tier has 12 cupcakes on it, and the third tier has 23 cupcakes on it. 12 plus 23 is 35, which is Kevin Durant's number on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mike, have you been watching Ancient Aliens again? (laughs) I have not. Some kind of interdimensional star child (laughs) came down and took over Russell Russell Westbrook's body and communicating they, they actually built the Declaration of Independence. It's funny that you talked about the Declaration of Independence because I could not quote it better than this. Shea Serrano wrote about this and he said, quote, Westbrook is like the Nicolas Cage in National Treasure of Petty Acts and I love him so much for it. There's no better way to sum it up. And you would think, like, maybe this is just the random display of cupcakes and it happened to be divided that way. But if you love math as much as I do, you will know that 35 plus 8 is 43, which is not a normal number of cupcakes. So this was incredibly intentional and so thought out. And I love Russell Westbrook with all of my heart. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know! (laughs) James Harden got overwhelmed by that banana shit you just said. So. I mean, I get, okay, (laughs) all right. Just for a moment, like, like I want to believe in Russell Westbrook's pettiness, but can we brainstorm some other ideas of why Russell Westbrook would only have 43 cupcakes? No. (laughs) Do you think They posted it at like 11 a.m., so they hadn't been eating the cupcakes. Okay, but what if... Like, Steven Adams, who, for those of you who don't know, looks like he is the missing link between Ape and Man. <laughs> it's very Aquaman. Like, yeah, he looks like Jason, like the way like Jason I, Momoa yeah, is yeah, yeah. as well. Like, yeah, yeah, so he came over, and Russell Westbrook had 50 cupcakes, and then he turned his back, and then in one fell swoop, Steven Adams <laughs> grabbed seven of them. Wait, I actually like this. I like the world in which he had 50, Steven Adams ate seven, and then Russell goes, wait, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Did it at an 8, 12, 35. <laughs> so yeah, those are the three most petty things that Russell Westbrook has done. And that was our horse, three on three. Wow. Th- one, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Yeah. So Houston, thank you so much for having us open oh, wait, we have show. to do the thing that We have to do the thing that we usually do. Oh, yeah. We put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Okay. What? Can we say uh, Stephen Adams stole the cupcakes on three? Yes, we can. Okay. One. One, two, two three. three. Stephen Adams stole the cupcakes. Thank you guys so much. Potterless is up next. Thanks for listening to Horace. Horace is hosted by Mike Schubert and Eric Silver. It is edited and mixed by Eric Silver. Social media by Mike Schubert. Theme song by Bettina Campomanes. Art by Allison Wakeman. And website by Kelly Beckman. 
Special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Ross Papa, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge, Shooby Dooby Doo, I'm Adam Silver, Godzilla got busy, Dame Judy Dench is my DM, Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Soph Slam Chops, Steph Curry for three, Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, and he sells she oh he sells seashells. This is gonna be hard the whole time. You can find us on the internet at Horse Hoops on Instagram and Facebook and Horse underscore Hoops on Twitter because, as we say every episode, it's because Horse Hoops tried to steal the Declaration of Independence and then got banned because Horse Hoops was banned. Our website is horsehoops.com, which is all of our research and the visual stuff you didn't see because this is a podcast. And if you want bonus stuff, like three-on-threes being expanded to five-on-fives, the overtime that I was just telling Mike about, where we talk about Larry Bird eating ice cream cake, and it's delicious, you can go on over to patreon.com slash horsehoops and support us today. And there's also Multitude. If you love the things that we do and you want to support all of the shows in the Multitude Collective, you can go to multitude.productions. So you can listen to Spirits, which is a mythology podcast. You can listen to Join the Party, which is a Dungeon & Dragon podcast. You can listen to Potterless, which is a Harry Potter podcast. And you can subscribe to Next Stop, which is our new sitcom, and you should be really excited about it. So go to Multitude.Productions. You can follow us on Twitter at Multitude Shows. And again, you can subscribe to Next Stop wherever you listen to podcasts. And we put our hands in the middle, and it's just going to be me in the studio by myself. And I'm going to say congratulations to Mike and Kelly on three. So everyone do this together with me so it's not just me doing this by myself in the studio. All right. One, two, three. Congratulations, Mike and Kelly! I don't want to tell you where their honeymoon is, but it's going to be at a Cheesecake Factory. One of them. I can't tell you which one. It's a secret. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.